What's up everyone, this is Darius Kolbarczyk, co-founder of MG Poland, JS Poland, Angular Master Dev and Workshop Fest Dev. Welcome back to the Angular Master Podcast. Today we have a special guests from Netherlands, speakers, programmers actively involved in the open source community. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Jeffrey Bosch and Sander Elias. Hi, Jeffrey. Hi, Sander. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you. Yeah, I'm also fine. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thank you so much. So for those who don't know you yet, please uh, tell us about yourself and what you do. Maybe we start with Jeffrey this time. Sure, sure. Uh, uh, my name is Jeffrey. Um, I work at a company called Stitly that is a part of the 4C group. We do a lot of things with Angular, uh, but especially at our place, we do a thing around digital siting of documents. Uh, most people maybe know me from being on a call with Sander or hosting the Dutch Angular group meetups. Um, I'm also the author of a couple of open source libraries, which we probably will uh, have a look at or speak over in this uh, podcast. Uh, and that's me, basically. That's amazing. So your turn, Sander. Hi, hi. I'm Sander, again. Um, I'm an Angular GDE and a GDE for web technologies. Uh, looking at performance, I'm the author, uh, the, the most significant author of Scully. Brad Jeffrey is also helping, by the way. Uh, I also created, together with Jeffrey Valendontini, and I have a boatload of other open source libraries out there. Uh, one of my open source libraries has currently hit 2.6 millions, millions of downloads a week. Wow. Impressed myself. Wow. So you, you know the drawing from the, with the little tiny block on the below? Well, I have one of those tiny blocks. How did your adventure in programming begin? Well, the, my my adventure in programming began in the late 70s. It's a little while ago uh, when my father brought home a computer and I, of course, wanted to play games on this. Uh, the problem is there were no games. Uh, computer games was not a thing that was invented yet. So I had to build my own games and I quickly found out that I liked building the games much more than playing the games. So that's where I started. Um, I joined our, our local community. Uh, I got active there, um, really active. I sold my first uh, application on H11 and I can go on for quite a while, but I will leave it here. That's amazing. How about you, Jeffrey? Well, actually, uh from as a kid i always were was fascinated about computers but not specifically on games i'm not a gamer if, if you want to put it in a specific place uh, but i just liked it so I, I i i trashed a couple of them looked at what they did and, and these kinds of stuff and i naturally grow for some reason in a developer-ish role and and that's where it started and then uh, then i found out something about open source and then i was really hooked can you explain what Scully is and why developers may want to use it? Uh, Scully is a static site generator for Angular applications. Uh, what it does, it takes your Angular application, it tries to look at uh, what routes are available, and it will create an index.html for every route in your application. 
it goes even a little bit further than just that. Um, you can, it has plugins, so you can tell it, hey, we have a route with product ID in it. So Scully can go out to your product API, uh, get a list of all products and render for every product, the product page. The benefits of doing it like this, generating an index.html for every route is that you uh, the performance of your applications is better because the time to first interactive is basically zero. Everything is there already. And it has a huge uh, impact on uh, search engine optimization because your site is now uh, fully searchable by all search engines, not only Google, but all of them. And um, this will do wonders for your indexation. Can you discuss the role of JS in Scully's process of pre-rendering each page? Yeah, the, we are using uh, a third-party library called Guest Parser, and Guest Parser is a library that is created by uh, by Minko. Um, what it does is it tries to read all of the routes out of your application, which works fine uh, until you read Angular 16 or standalone or any of the new stuff because the guest parser doesn't work with that. And Minko has told me he has currently no bandwidth to, to fix this. Um, so currently the, the route discovery is a little bit uh, handicapped in, in Scully, uh, but I have, uh, I have on good authority that uh, this problem will be solved uh, in one of the next Angular versions itself. I cannot say anything more about that, but I I believe it's so. Um, and also, you can manually feed a list of routes into the into Scully, so you can still use it, even if it cannot discover a single route. You just say, "Hey, here is a list. Go over those pages," and Scully will just take that list and go for there. For my private uh, stuff, I created a small utility that just reads all, all of the routes and discovers it by itself. Um, I cannot add that to Scully because it puts really strict restrictions on what you can put in a route.ts file. So that the, it's possible, but it's a little bit harder. Um, we hope there will be something something nice there. And pretty soon, uh, as soon as uh, Jeffrey is ready with uh, the next version of the schematics, I will roll out a version 3.1 uh, beta version. Uh, that will work with all Angular versions from, I guess, 14 to whatever you, you currently have. But we still have to test it. We feel first have to have the schematics in place for, before we can test uh, which versions of Angular it will work. For the older versions, we still have the versions that are already available on NPM, of course. But what are the benefits of pre-rendering an app to HTML and CSS compared to traditional Angular App approach. Yeah, it's it's also known as going on the Jamstack. I think that's the thing that you want to hear. Um, Jamstack basically means that your application is available as a boatload of index.html files. But the most important thing is you can also embed all of your data inside of these HTML files or next to it uh, with JSON files. That means that you can put your site on a static host um, including all the data, and you don't have to have a server at all. You can run your entire application running with all data in there, loading all the data um, without 
even having an API server. So that is the biggest benefit. Um, the whole application is self-contained in static form. Um, of course, if you have something like a, a product checkout where you are selling stuff, you probably want to have an API server that can help handle the sales. But you don't have, you don't need to have to have an API server that hosts all of the products on the internet. You can just use your uh, local developer tool, tooling and local production server with your, your product database, render from there, and from that point on, all the data is embedded in the static in the static files. So that is a big uptick, and that will save you a boatload on hosting. Hosting static files is cheap. Hosting uh, computing is, well, not so cheap. So that is the, the biggest thing why you want to use something like Scully. With the upcoming beta release of Scully version 3, what the improvements or new features can users looking forward to? Well, version 3 is mostly a complete rebuild of the whole uh, repo uh, so that uh, the developer experience for us becomes a lot better. Also, it becomes the code is much more maintainable because of this. And it is a big overhaul where everything is moving to ESM modules. And that was needed because with Angular 13, uh, we were not uh, longer able to use non-ESM things. Um, and as Scully is running on the node side too, we needed to do a boatload of things to get uh, to the point that Scully was actually running correctly in, in all environments again. And that was not a problem of Scully itself. It was more the tooling that was not ready, a TypeScript that was not uh, liking Node in combination with ESM and all kinds of uh, third-party problems. Uh, we have solved all of them now, and we just need to finish up the schematic, and then we can do a, re uh, a better release. Uh, the thing is, we are going a little bit slow because Scully right now is not sponsored, so it's the spare time of me and Jeffrey mostly. A couple of other people helping a little bit. Um, and... I don't know, but I don't have that much uh, free time available. Yeah, so that slows things down a little bit. Maybe it's good to at least highlight the topic around schematics. That what we will do is to have it as it is right now, because uh, it, yes, of course, we could introduce big breaking changes because it's version three, but we don't want to do this. So we want our our, our uh, people that are that are using Scully to at least seamlessly uh, do the schematics or add it to their project as it is right now. And from that point, we will maybe make some breaking changes um, uh, because the schematics have some things in there that we would like to do different, but we can't right now because, yeah, yeah yes, of course we could, but we don't want to have problems with our uh, people that are using it. So uh, expect maybe a breaking changes, but not in the beta release or the release in version three, uh, maybe version four or something like that. Yeah, I, I want to add that there is a boatload of work going into the schematics because one, uh, when we started uh, Scully, we were on Angular 9 or 8 or something like that, and we did build the, the schematics. And then with every release, the schematics were a little bit adapted to what was the current state of the state of Angular, which means we needed to support Annex, we needed to support this, we needed to support whatever. Um, in the end, the schematics became a dragon that were near impossible to, to maintain. 
And that's why it's taking a while because Jeffrey right now is completely rewriting the, the schematics from from scratch uh, using all the modern techniques that are there so we can support the current CLI, the upcoming CLIs and a couple of past CLIs, but also we will have an addition for NX because NX has uh, quite a number of different versions going around with workspace there, no workspace there, and NX.json there, and NX.json not there, and all kinds of small uh, changes that are not that hard if you keep up, but if you are a third-party author that is working in his free time, as we are, it is really hard to integrate all of those changes from all of those third-party libraries all the time. And that's why we are now going to come with a uh, CLI schematic by default, and we will have an add-on NX schematic uh, that will utilize that. And I think that will be way better moving forward. You're listening, Angular Master Podcast. Listen, code, repeat. Everything you need to know to become an Angular super developer. Can you talk about how Scully supports Angular version 12 and higher, and what does it mean for developers using older versions? We actually already support Angular 12 with the current uh, Scully that is available today. Um, and it will also, the current version will also work with uh, everything up to 16. It will not really work with version 16. It is supported. The only thing is automatic installation isn't supported because of the schematics issues. Uh, Scully itself has no issues. Um, it will tell you there are some conflicts with your NPM things, uh, but that is mostly versioning things in packages more than any real problems. Scully will just take any Angular version and work with that. Um, with the upcoming version, we are going to settle for uh, supporting version 14 and later because we are going to the new library format. We cannot support older things anymore. What the spark that drives you to contribute to open source projects? What goodies do you get from it? For me, it is mostly paying forward. Everything I've learned, I've learned from the community. Well, not everything, but a lot I learned from the community. Um, all of my, all of the software I currently use comes from open source. So I think it's good form and, and good karma to contribute to open source. Um, also, I really want to help all the developers uh, to become better and do more in the same time. That is just something that, that drives me. If everyone would put some more time in open source, I think we would have a better world. What about you, Jeffrey? Yeah, well, I, I, I think I, I agree on all the all the points, and um, I would would like to add that added at least that for me, um, when I started open source, it was hard. You know, not, not, I I didn't know anybody in the open source, and I saw a project, and I was like, okay, how do I start with with these kinds of uh, stuff? And that is where I hope we, we, well, at least I can help people with my open source project that when they are there, that I can at least assist them with, with a good onboarding or, or a good experience with their first commit, with their first PR, uh, these kinds of uh, stuff. And, and I know it's hard for me also, you know, all these things are in, in, in your spare time, uh, but, but it's always good to see new people coming in and, and assist you with your project because they like to start with open source or they like your product that you that you build 
and they they want to learn and and I think that's that's key in every uh, everything that that we learn from each other. Uh, if it's on open source techniques, uh, TypeScript, or just in life, uh, let's learn from each other and help each other to to grow uh, in 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 well the thing they they want. Moving on to NGX AWS Deploy, could you explain what this tool is and what problems it solves? Yeah, sure. So, so um, well, uh, uh, at least two things are in the name uh, because it it's around Amazon and it's around deploying stuff. Uh, so uh, a couple of years ago, I was working on a project and I needed to upload basically the artifacts that are there when you do a ng build to the aws s3 storage uh cloud service um but there wasn't like an easy way i and there i think at that time maybe uh first all netlify these kinds of uh cloud providers they already had a way to easily say okay deploy your your uh, angular application to the storage and and it will uh, work but aws didn't have a easy way you always needed to do it with the aws cli or um, manually drag and drop it in the web interface so that's basically where my problem uh, was is that that there was no easy way to at least upload your artifacts from your ng build to uh, s3 storage um, so, so I had a look at how this this worked at Netlify again in the open source, I would say, and all these these other tools. And I just started to build a, a tool, which is NGX AWS Deploy, to deploy your Angular application to a the AWS S3 storage. Uh, and basically, what it does when you run your uh, ng deploy command, which is a CLI command, you can uh, uh, give some options there to upload it to your specific S3 storage place where people can then use it to make it for their website, for their business application and these kinds of uh, stuff. So what are the benefits of deploying an Angular app directly to Amazon S3? It's the same benefit-ish, I would say, probably as Netlify and all the other, uh, other stuff. It's that it's straight from your, I hope you do it from your pipeline, but if you do it from your laptop, uh, it's straight on the storage and you can have like a, I don't know what's called an Netlify, but a CloudFront distribution before it so that it will be on the edge. So it will be the closest to, to your end users on, on their um, uh, AWS cloud provider platform. So the, the time when people go to your website, go to your business application should be smaller than going directly to S3 because AWS do, does a couple of things around the distribution of these artifacts. How does NGX AWS deploy integrate with the Angular CLI? Yeah, that, that's a good question because we already highlighted a little bit about this because it's a build in a schematic. So when you do ng add uh, NGX AWS deploy, you will get a couple of questions that, that help you to set up the project. And then actually you can just run the command from that point. It will give that in the, uh, in, a, in the output so that you can well, build and deploy your application at once to the S3 storage. What security consideration should users be aware of when using NGX AWS deploy? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I would say there are basically uh, two main things you, you need to know about, or not, well, two things you need to know is that 
if you're running a a local project that you just want to test out, it's good that uh, if it's good that you use the Angular.json to confirm uh, uh, configure your AWS security keys and these kinds of stuff. But um, uh, don't use it in production. So if you commit this to GitHub or GitLab or any of your Git repositories, don't use any security environment specific keys there, uh, or at least make them invalid. Uh, because then, then everybody can hijack them, and then probably somebody will uh, will will override your application, which uh, which is probably maybe the, the funniest thing that would happen. Uh, so so don't do that. But if you just are testing, like how does this work? That's good. If but I would recommend using a environment variables. So use a dot env, add it to your git ignore. Use something like dot env to load all these environment keys, and then. Uh, also in your in your GitLab pipeline, in your GitLab pipeline, these kinds of stuff. And then would be the main security thing, I would say, because in the end, it's just uploading artifacts. So it's not a special magic thing that happens under the hood. It's just uploading artifacts. But that is the thing that most people forget or, or yeah, I, I don't know, don't know maybe. That's, that's maybe also a thing that we should address a little bit more is that all these keys that you put in your Angular.json, in your package.json, or all these kinds of stuff, it shouldn't be there because otherwise people will uh, hijack your SCDN. What is Validantini and who come up with this name? Yeah, it was me. Uh, it's Jeffrey. So so maybe a little bit about the name. So uh, it's a bit wrapped in the name. Uh, it's validation, uh, validations. Uh, and I've, I'm always mixing this up. Was it Italian or uh, Finnish? I think finish. finish, right? Yeah. So um, it sounds the same. I check it. It sounds the same in Italian and in yeah. Finnish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly the thing. Uh, so, so we were chatting about this, uh, and and I know in my company there's a product that we use. I'm not going to mention the product, but um, th that is also like something from Finnish. And I said, well, let, let's just have a look at what what's good and how does you, how do you pronounce it? These kinds of stuff because pronunciation is. A thing when you don't speak the language and this is well this is a funny one because it, it looks a little bit italian it is finnish and these kinds of stuff but in the end it's all validation and that's that's where also the 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 main thing is from the the package that that we're talking about well validantini makes uh validations for your uh template driven forms easy crop that easy um, why uh, I, I think we first need to talk a little bit about forms and and the concepts around forms before it becomes a little bit more more clear what it uh, what problem that it solves. Um, I truly believe that validation is like a business concern, and people will argue with me. But then I say, hey, do you check your validations on your server? Um, if yes, it is a business concern. I don't know how to explain it e more easy, but that's that's just how it is. And wouldn't it be easy if we could reuse the validations we use on our server in frontend? Well, uh, Valentini let you do that. Uh, and how do we do that? Um, validation needs to be done on models. Uh, a model is basically uh, your JavaScript object where all of your properties and all of your values are in. And there you go on this check, hey, name. Names needs to be not empty. And it needs to be like at least 
three tokens and we preferably want like one capital in there things like that uh, don't do validation like that those are terrible but uh, that's just a sample if you have like two if you have a password and a confirmed password you want to check if they are the same otherwise there is little use in having those but those validations are between two fields uh, and all kinds of those kinds of validations but validations are really a business concerns and you should validate your data you shouldn't validate whatever is on your screen what is on your screen is the result of the validation you put in new things there the validation gets done by a validation routine and the results of the validation should be updated in your screen and validontini helps you with that you can write your uh, validation suites or your validations uh, logic with a uh, with a library called fast or you can use joy or you can use any of the other validation libraries that are available the big uptick of this is that you can reuse the validations both in your front end and in your back end and wherever that you can do javascript validations you can even write your javascript validations in pure javascript if that's what you prefer if you say i don't want to have another heavy library I understand if you have like only a couple of simple validations, you probably don't need the library. You probably can just use whatever is available in HTML, like a required and, and stuff like that. But um, if you have a little bit more complex validations and you can write it in, in 10 lines of JavaScript code, that doesn't warrant an entire library. But even if you write it yourself, we have a tool that hooks it easily up to Angular forms. So, uh, your validation runs that gets the result back usually in an object that has like uh, the property name and uh, undefined if it's all right or a form of an error usually an uh, usually um, a string array with uh, not a valid ID or something like that and then we hook that back up into your form using Validontini uh, and that is, in short, what we do. So how does Validantini make validation for Angular template forms easier? Because you don't have to worry about it at all. You add one directive to your ng form and you're done. So in your template, you add one line of code and validation is taken care of. Yeah, so, so basically when we build this, we had like a couple of basic concept one it shouldn't be easy to use template forms because template forms is already easy i would say and, and we don't want to hassle around how people do their implementation around validations um so, so we came up basically with the model and sandra already touched it and, and the model in a uh what, how do you call it? maybe model driven for uh is always an object and you have a name and an address and these kinds of stuff it's pretty simple i would say and the other thing is that when when you do validations, we would we want to like we would like to have a way that that is agnostic from Angular. It shouldn't be Angular specific because there are a lot of good validation libraries out there that do a much better job than just custom programming a validation. I think we all can do a simple regex, but if it gets complex, it's it's hard hard for us as developers to understand what the regex is if we don't comment it or or have a good look at it. So we had looked at a couple of libraries, uh, Vest, Joy, and AGV, like how can we uh, easily use these kinds of tooling that is already there, that is good maintained by their authors, 
or, or their community around this? Uh, and how can we hook this up basically on uh, 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 the Angular form validation way, I would say? Well, so 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 we we come up with a way that was at, indeed just one directive where you register basically your form and your validation uh, set. So, so not not the not the validation library, but just a set of validations where you say, okay, uh, this is my uh, user with with address form, and then from that point you say, okay, and I want to register this validation set of functions there, and. Uh, under the hood, what we do is basically we we have a registry where you can hook up all your different uh, forms. So if you have like six forms, it will be there. It will be cached also. So that's just one one time and it's easy to, to get it out. So performance-wise, it's also uh, pretty good. And when Angular then um, uh, uh, checks for changes on the form and when the validation runs, we hook up, hook up all these, these validations and the errors and execute basically the validation library, the validation suite that is there. Um, and from that point, we will tell Angular with like, okay, you need to set the error, you need to do your magic that that is in the Angular in the Angular framework then. And we will provide you with a set of errors, if there are errors, of course, uh, that you need to tell your user basically. And then one other concept we came up um, uh, uh, next to the validation library and how that integrates with Angular is that we saw that when you have Fast, Joy, and AGV, you also need a way, easy way to uh, support these kinds of packages. So we came up with the concept of adapters. And at this moment, I think we have Fast and Joy, I, I say it from the top of my uh, head, where you can easily register your validation and your validation functions and use the adapter to say, okay, I got this in my backend already. I use a vest in the in the backend, for example, with my just a vest functions, and I say uh, hook it up to the Validantini library, basically. And these adapters are just there so that we can easily uh, what well, we understand or our our package understands what do you mean, and, and you know uh, you can easily register your uh, validation functions. Um, let me add there something. Um, Angular has already uh, a way to communicate uh, errors to forms. Um, there is like uh, there is a interface in Angular that defines how you for how you communicate uh, errors to a form. That is already in the Angular thing. We are reusing that. We are using that, and our adapter. Um, takes the result of whatever library you have and uh, reformats it into the way Angular understands errors, which is basically um, an object with the uh, form name, form name, colon, and then the errors are undefined or not there if it's all okay. So that is a, a little translation that is done for fast and we have the same translation for joy uh, most of those things are very, very similar because they solve a similar problem and the outcome is always something similar, but you always need to tweak it a little bit because libraries always will have little differences, but it always translates down to like angular validation form errors. Uh, and then, um, we use the, the form control, um, the form controls to hook this up 
back into your form. We we take the form itself. The form is as a list of form controls that are in there, and this way we hook it all up back together. Uh, one important thing is the names you use in the form should be the property names that are in your model because otherwise it has no way to hook it up. Can you tell us more about the VAST, AJV and JOY? Well, it will be a joy to tell you about VAST. Um, VAST is, uh, the, those are uh, validation libraries. Um, I like VAST because if you go to the VAST website and you take a look at it, you will see that it uh, approaches validations in the same way as DevOps uh, approach tests. So it's basically similar to writing tests. You say, uh, describe this, um, expect um, model name to be uh, or not empty, and, and all those. And it is just like writing tests. And that is a, a really easy uh, developer experience. That's why we started with test. Also, we wanted to test a little bit with it. And I created a small dynamic uh, form for demonstrations. And I had to go back and forth with the maintainers of Fest to get it going because I was doing things that they were not prepared for. <laughs> so it was a little bit too dynamic for Fest, but it worked in the end. Um, Joy is, uh, I think, the oldest and the biggest validation library that is available online. Um, it came from uh, Harpy but it split it out um, and it is it's its own thing now for a long long time already and it has like uh, a huge amount of supporters there and uh, there is a huge community around Joy so we, we support Joy too um, I have used it like years ago so everything that I will say about it now is probably a little dated at least so I will leave it there um, I know it's it's a good validation library. Uh, I did some things with Fast. I liked Fast. Um, AVG. Uh, I looked at the code. It it looked okay to me, but uh, I was already using Fast, so I had no interest in looking any further. But um, if you need validation, go look for a library that uh, resonates with the way you walk and with the way your data is is built, and use it. Um, and uh, if it's not supported by Valentini, um you can write an adapter for it that is not that hard. There are a couple of samples in our repo. Um, if you cannot do that by yourself, uh, just set up a suite with the thing, hand it over to us, and I will write on that. I will write an adapter for you because that will probably take me like 10 minutes. That sounds amazing. So, so the recommendation is to using Vest. The recommendation is using our library. And we yeah. prefer fast, but that is a personal preference. Yeah, so, yeah we, we are library agnostic, I would say. We, we have the most experience with these two. Um, and and that and fast. The, the main reason, and Sandra already tipped it, is that indeed a vest, you write these kinds of uh, validation functions as a test. And that is something that we, we as developers have done a million times, I would say, is to to write a test, and especially with Karma and Jest, which is very popular uh, in the in the Angular community. Uh, we know already a little bit about the syntax. It feels like natural to do these kinds of stuff. Great. So, how does Validantini uh, work with the new standalone API? 
Well, well, I would say when we started this project, I think it was, is it 13 or 14? I'm not sure exactly, but we already knew that, that standalone was coming. So we started with standalone and, and, and we use standalone component or standalone components, standalone directives, uh, as, as def- default, I would say. So you can hook it up as a uh, imported in your module if you are not running a standalone application or don't use standalone and you can add uh, or you can use it in your standalone application. It, it doesn't matter for us in this uh, this way. So how can Validantini handle both synchronous and asynchronous validation rules? Well, it's quite simple. Everything is as- async in Validantini, so it handles everything async and that solves the problem. There is a there is a more profound reason behind this because Angular has bent over backwards to do sync validations, which make little to no sense. If you think about it, why would you like sync validation? A user is typing something and I need the answer before he's done typing. And when is he done typing? I, I don't know. It makes no sense to do those things sync. It makes so much more sense to just do the, this async by default because if you need to look up anything, it is going to be async anyway. Um, and this way it becomes easy. Um, in our future, you can say, hey, um, and we probably will create an app for this. We will send the data to a server, have the server do the validation and just send the result back. To sum up uh, this discussion about Validantini, what we can expect in the future versions? I, I think we are future complete. Um, we will maintain it. We will make sure that it keeps running with whatever Angular version there is. If the, if someone comes up with a really, really good idea, we will add it. I would not know. I would not know one because actually it does what it is supposed to do. Um, I'm liking the, the Linux philosophy. Do one thing and do one thing good. Uh, and that is what the Validantini does. It hooks up any validation library to your Angular template-driven forms. Yeah, but probably some adapters here or there for specific libraries or specific cases. Um, maybe if there ever will be a more like a warning message, we will add something that so that it's easy to do. Uh, you see, as a vest, for example, you can. Also, do warnings uh, in in validations and not like errors. And Angular at this moment only supports errors. So, so these kinds of things maybe, if it will be supported also in the in in Angular, we to do use it then then that. But but for the rest, it's pretty uh, future proof. Uh, I would say. Yeah. Go just template forms. Just use template forms. Yeah. Yeah, we are um, we are not. Um, if someone comes with a PR to support uh, reactive forms, we might accept it unwillingly. Yeah. But yeah, the, the thing is, we are uh, we are a big pronoun. Um, I really like template-driven forms. I don't like reactive forms. I I don't think this is a secret to anyone that knows me. Um, uh, reactive forms will make you do so much more work for no reason whatsoever. Um, and then people keep on insisting using reactive forms for I don't know what reason. I always ask, why do you want reactive forms? What is the reason you prefer reactive over template driven? And then they come with something, and usually it is um, 
I need to observe whatever. Well, you can do the same thing with template-driven forms. You can just get the form controller and uh, subscribe to value changes on anything. So that is because under the hood, those are both the same thing. They are running from the same from the same Angular library. So there is nothing you can do with reactive forms that you cannot do with template-driven forms. And all the way around um, with reactive forms, you just have to type up both those more. So do you have some hints for us regarding self-organization? I would say, um, uh, Senna knows, not, not a lot of people knows, I got a, a little kid of two, so it was a mind shift before uh, because I, I, did, I did a lot more open source, I would say. So for all the new dads or, or, or women out there, uh, do it when you feel that you have the energy and, and just do it if you want to have like fun. And that's, that was my main reason when I started open source, even during that I, 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 I created a couple of packages that were more used by the community or more used by, by people, just do it for fun and, and, and take your time. It doesn't matter if you uh, wait for a week and, and, and if you do it for the fun, then you will find the time and, and the right place and, and the right moment to work on all, the, all these stuff. Focus on your health and just do your work and these kinds of stuff. And, 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 and then everything uh, for your self-organization will, well, will it, it, will, it will go good. At least that was a thing that helped me a lot is that when you just do things when you, you want to and you have fun, then it will, will work for you. So do your, your work, do your family stuff first. And then, then if you still have some time and these kinds of stuff, just do it for fun. And if it's a week later, then it's a week later. It doesn't matter. Yeah. For me, it's a little bit different. Um, I have permanent insomnia, so I usually sleep four to five hours and that's it. So I have a couple of more hours available than most people. Um, and that helps. Uh, also, do what you love. If you like doing things, it's not, it doesn't drain energy, it brings you energy. Um, I love doing things like Scully, and Scully brings me energy still. And it is going slower, but it still brings me energy. People are happy with it, and we get positive feedback. So then it is a nice thing. Um, sometimes you need to scratch your own itch. If you just say, hey, I have this problem, I want to build something for it, just build it in open source. Uh, I'm, I'm working on a couple of projects that I might open source. Um, I'm not sure yet. I might come up, might do them commercial too. Depends a little bit, um, but uh, do things that you love. And I think that's the most important thing. Um, if you are going to your computer and say, oh, I have to, well, you don't. So don't, don't do that. Sometimes there will always be chores that have to be done. And those are annoying, but most of the times just do what you think is fun. If you love writing documentation, uh, please contact me. We can need, we need our documentation writer, but um, if, if that's what you like to do, if you like writing, if you are good in explaining things in writing, um, go to our, our repo that you like. Say, hey, I like this whole Velodotini thing. Um, I would like to contribute. Um, write some blogs about it, right? Um, you can start out, just write blogs about something that you found find interesting or annoying or how would I do this differently 
those made the most interesting kinds of, of blog posts or whatever you want to make out of it. Um, I like to play in the open with uh, all of my samples. I have a samples repo. People can look there and they will find boatloads and boatloads of code samples where I just had basically a brain fart and just created something. So it was out of my mind. And quite often I find myself going back there to, oh, I created this and I go back there and pick it up from there and make it production ready. Because yes, it is a samples repo. Not everything in there is production ready. How about your work-life balance? If you enjoy what you do, it's way less of a problem. Um, if you enjoy your day job, it is not that not a big of a problem to work a couple of hours extra if needed. Don't throw this in for free every every day. But uh, uh, work-life balance is really about that. Uh, you need to do what you enjoy. If you don't enjoy your work, um, keep it at the eight hours you're supposed to do and do something else after that. Uh, if you enjoy your work, you might as well do a couple of extra hours on open source or anything. And then that is still like a healthy uh, work-life balance. Just um, don't go 12 hours for work where they are paying for. Uh, occasionally that is okay, but it's not good if you do this as, as a rule. Just do what you're supposed to do and work for the hours you're supposed to work. If they are uh, piling up a boatload of work that you cannot get done in eight hours a, a day, uh, that's a planning or a management issue that is not your issue to solve. Yeah, I, I would have, have a lot of fun if it is in your work, if it is in your life. Just go and do make a lot of fun because I, I, I find it it's all easier when you have a lot of fun with, with your friends, with your colleagues, with your family. If it's a rough time and you have a lot of fun together, and, and uh, then it's uh, much easier uh, to, to, to balance all these kinds of stuff. So I, I would resume it, just go have fun. If it is in the open source, if it is on the, on, the, on, the, on the court, on football, or if you hang out with friends, that's your thing, do that. And the second one I would add, for me, it's like I have a... Uh, a good uh, mental health and for everybody that's different for me it works with us doing fitness and these kinds of uh, stuff uh, but mental health is a a big thing and you can yes you can do eight hours or 12 hours working and yes you can do still the diapers of your kid and these kinds of stuff but also pay a little bit of attention about your personal mental health and and well, for the one it's sports. For the other one, it's just walking around. For the for for another person, it's reading books. But do these kinds of stuff. It's very important. What advice would you give to people who are starting their career in the software world today? And what for those who are old timers? For newcomers, I would say, try to limit yourself. Learn one thing and learn one thing well. When you when you have learned this one thing, add something. And there is always more to add. So that is the one for the old timers. Don't try to add everything. It's impossible. There is so much you, you cannot know everything. Yeah. And, and I think if I look at my career when I started, I wouldn't, what really helped me, and I mean really, was finding the right community that fits with you. And if you're doing Angular or any other framework or any other tool or whatever you use, there are a lot of 
communities out there that on on the on the social media channels of these kinds of stuff find them because it it will really help you in your career and that that that's always for the for the for the newcomers but also for the old timers you call it old times right um like go find the community and, and probably the the more junior people will just have a chat, learn, drink some beers together, and the old timers then can can share their knowledge. Uh, and and I would add to the old timers, uh, uh, if you name it like that, um, share your knowledge. Uh, that, that's very important for the for the for the newcomers. So don't only review a PR and say this is wrong. Add value. Why is it wrong? What does he or she do? Want you to do that? I know you do that, but I'm, I'm, I, I can handle it. <laughs> but but you know that's very important in your in your start of your career is know what what the reason behind is why you're doing something in an incorrect way, and and sometimes that's forgotten. I would say I, I don't know why, but probably just because of the stress or the work stress of these kinds of stuff. Just explain the reason why it is a wrong pattern a wrong way of solving it in angular these kinds of stuff. I, I want to add something because and th- this gets forgotten all the time just learn the basic tools of your trade if you are a front-end developer learn html and learn css um you don't uh, html you can learn in depth in like two days uh, css you can learn um in depth never but you should <laughs> You should at least try to have like some basic uh, knowledge about those things. For old timers, I would say do not forget about the basics. Do not forget about the things you can do in HTML and CSS directly without touching a single line of code. I see so many code bases that are piling in entire libraries for things that can be solved with two lines of CSS. Books you would recommend to our listeners? Technical or non-technical? Oh, um, well, I, I keep the juniors and maybe a little bit about the old timers. Then, if the juniors were on the like Angular podcast, uh, I would say I reviewed the uh, book from um, Avastidis Bompakos, the GDE from uh, Greece, uh, Learning Angular uh, or the Angular Projects. I think it was uh, called. Have a look at the, those. And the other one for the more old timers, I would say. Is Sarah Dreshnell, I hope I don't butcher her last name, but she has something that's called engineering management for the rest of us. I'm just halfway, but it's pretty interesting if you are a manager, team lead, or or these kinds of stuff, and how you do these kinds of stuff, uh, providing your team with value or or share your uh, share things with each other. Jeffrey just stole one of my recommendations, the book of Ares. I, I really would recommend that. But for the, my second recommendations, I'm not even recommending a single book with an entire series. Go read the Discworld series of Terry Pratchett. Those are highly entertaining. Big thanks for today's epic chat, my friend. Talking with people who've got that fairly passion is just a blast. Much love and catch you soon. Oh, and don't forget to hit that subscribe button and smash the like for this podcast.